All right, so we are going to be in John chapter 8 and John chapter 9 this morning, if you have your Bible. We are looking at seven famous statements that Jesus made where he introduces himself to us, and we want Jesus to introduce himself to us because Jesus is the most quoted and also most misquoted person in the history of the world. And it's painful to be misquoted. I I remember one time in particular where I was misquoted that was really hard and painful for me because it was when I was pursuing my wife to marry and I went to her, her, um, her house for the very first time and she was driving me around these places where she grew up, places that were important to her and in the back seat was her niece, who is now my niece, and I still make fun of my niece for this. She was four or five years old at the time. Her name is Haley. And so Haley's in the back seat, and she's just watching and listening to us have a conversation. And so I then leave and go back to school, and Kay's parents start grilling Haley on what I said about them. You know, what I said about the visit, what I said about the house. And so for some reason, Haley misquotes me. And this is like the first interaction I ever had with my future in-laws. And Haley says, he says your house stinks, which isn't true. It doesn't stink, and I didn't say it. It smelled neutral, but I didn't even say that. I didn't even say it, all right? I didn't say anything. I was just misquoted, so I started in a deficit with my future in-laws. And so it's painful. Everything's good now. Everything's good now. But it's painful to be misquoted. And Jesus is, he's so often misquoted. Words that he says, or he said, is taken out of context. Uh, Ideologies that he didn't hold to are ascribed to him. And so we are wise to press in and listen to what Jesus says about himself in his own words. And so in the Gospel of John, seven times he makes these famous statements where he introduces himself and he says, I am, and then he gives a statement. And in each of these statements, he's doing two things. When he says, I am, it's a clear claim to deity. He is saying that he is God. And then he says something that he does for us. So the statements are beautiful because they show the bigness of God, the bigness of Jesus, I am, I am God. But then it also shows the personal side of Jesus, the intimate side of Jesus, that he is this and he is this for you. So in John 8, you're gonna see that Jesus makes the statement that he is I am And then he's going to say he's the light of the world. And so let's see what's going on here. In John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus is speaking to some Jewish people and some religious leaders in the Jewish culture. And he says, your father Abraham, who is the the founder of the Jewish faith, he's their patriarch, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden, and and he went out of the temple. And so why did they pick up stones to throw at Jesus? Because when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he was making a clear statement that I am God. Before Abraham was, I am. I've always been and I always will be. I'm not a has-been, I am. That's what he's saying. And he places himself in this passage in the most significant moment in their history 
And this is why this was such a scandalous claim and why they picked up stones to stone Jesus because either Jesus is telling the truth and he is I am or he's blasphemy. And so when Jesus says I am, he places himself back in Exodus chapter three, one of the most significant moments in their history when their ancestors are in Egyptian slavery and captivity and they beg God to be rescued and God raises up a leader named Moses. Moses walks to a bush that is burning in Exodus chapter three and there's a voice from the bush and the voice is God's voice and the voice says, God says to Moses, I'm going to use you to lead my people to freedom, to lead my people out of slavery. Moses says, um, who do I say you are? What do I say your name is, God? And the voice from the bush says, I am who I am. You tell them I am sent you. So when Jesus, fast forward to Jesus, when Jesus says before Abraham was born, I am, Jesus was saying, hey, the voice that you heard about, the voice that spoke from the burning bush, the voice that one day your granddaddy put you on his lap and he told you about it, he told you how God rescued our people from slavery and there was a voice that spoke from the burning bush and the voice was God's voice and the voice was I am. Well, guess whose voice that was? That was my voice, Jesus was saying. Guess whose hand it was that led our people out of captivity and to freedom? It was my hand. I am. Jesus claims to be God. Every time he makes the statement, I am, it's a claim to deity. Perhaps one of the most um, popular or uh, most read professors of religion is Huston Smith at UC Berkeley. He passed away several years ago, but Huston Smith wrote a book that's used, a textbook that's used in universities across the country called World Religions. And in the book, he describes all of the different world religions of the world. And he says, Huston Smith concluded from UC Berkeley that there are two people in the history of the world that were so powerful in their speech, that were so amazing in their character, that people around them wanted to worship them. The two people, according to Huston Smith, that the world wanted to worship were Buddha and Jesus. But Buddha doesn't receive worship. Buddha, when people attempted to worship him, Buddha said, no, 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 don't, don't revere me. I'm not a God. Don't revere me. I'm not a God. Revere my doctrine, but don't revere me. Jesus, and we're going to see this in this passage, Jesus actually receives worship. He allows people to worship him as God. He invites people to worship him as God. So either Jesus, this really leaves us with only two conclusions, right? Either Jesus is crazy and he's allowing people to worship him. He's cruel and he's allowing people to worship him as a person or he really is the I am. And we believe as Christians that he is. And so if you're here and you're not yet a believer or you're on this journey, we're so glad you are here and on this journey with us. And we're going to see someone who actually goes on a journey in a short amount of time with Jesus in this very next chapter in John 9. This is right after Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. He now comes across a man who's born blind. And Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. Now, anybody can claim to be the light of the world. But Jesus doesn't just make the claim, he's gonna prove he's the light of the world by putting light in a blind man's eyes. 
And what does this mean for you? Because Jesus wants to put light in your eyes and put light in my eyes as well. John chapter 9, let's keep reading. Verse 1, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is not the best moment of the disciples' lives right here. I mean, the lack of compassion and mercy in this moment is really staggering. Uh, Just put yourself in the blind man's position. You're on the side of the road. You beg for money. That's what you do every single day. And you hear that Jesus is passing by and Jesus has healed other people. Maybe he will heal you as well. And the disciples, his followers are right in front of you. And you don't hear them say, hey, Jesus, come over and heal this guy. You actually hear the disciples have a philosophical discussion about you in your presence. Painful. But Jesus doesn't enter the philosophical debate on who sinned, this man or his parents, because in this culture, it was an understanding, a wrong understanding, if there's any suffering in your life, that there must be sin somewhere in your life or your parents' life. And we know, as we study the whole of Scripture, that oftentimes suffering in our lives comes from just living in a broken and fallen world. And so Jesus responds this way, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so God's works might be displayed in him. This is really good because when you're going through a suffering in your life or something that people philosophically discuss why this is happening to you, Jesus says, um, this happens so the work of God might be revealed in your life. There's some bigger story. There's some bigger picture that God is doing in this passage. And so Jesus continues, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work as long as I am in the world. And here's the statement, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. The very first words that God spoke in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 is, let there be light Jesus comes and says, I am the light of the world. And light, light is good. We love light. I, we love living here in Orange County because we love light. We love sun. We apologize when it's May gray and June gloom because we want light. Light is good. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I lived in Nashville for seven years. After living in Miami for eight years, I got spoiled to the sun in Miami, moved to Nashville where it was gloomy a lot and rainy a lot. And seasonal affective disorder is a real deal. Uh, My wife would uh, say, Eric, you are less Christian when it's cloudy. You are... You, you, you aren't the, the, this great husband. You, you, aren't, um, you aren't as good uh, as a dad. You're not as good. You're just a bad person sometimes when it's gloomy. And so she started dropping vitamin D uh, pills and vitamin D drops into my coffee. Like you need some sun in your life. Sun is good. Light is good. When we go into a room that's dark and we can't see, we turn on the lights. We enjoy light. Light is good. And Jesus says, I am the light of the the world. When you follow me, I bring light into your darkness. You're going to be able to walk with clarity. You're going to enjoy my presence. I am the light of the world. After he said these things, again, anybody can 
say that they're the light of the world, but Jesus is going to prove he's the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. I'm sure the guy appreciated this moment, (laughs) the, the saliva. But here's what Jesus is doing. This is really beautiful. The same hands that created the world and cast the stars into the sky, those same hands created mud and puts it on a blind man's eyes. The same voice that said, let there be light, and there was light, is the same voice that's going to speak light into this blind man's eyes. So the same voice that declares light over all of creation is also the same voice that declares light over this one person. So he's a big God that cares for everything, yet he also cares for the details in your life. And he cares for this one man, the man that the disciples wanted to have a philosophical discussion over. Jesus cares for him. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left washed and he came back seen. I love that phrase. He came back seen. John chapter nine, the entire chapter is about this guy and what Jesus does in this guy's life because this story is such an important story because it's an illustration for us about Jesus putting light into our eyes. Jesus can heal us physically with light, but he also heals us spiritually. He puts light into our souls. He's the light of the world and he gives us light spiritually. So the rest of the story in John 9 goes like this. The guy can now see and everyone's like, wow, this guy is healed. This is amazing. He's healed. Others are like, that's not the same guy. That's not the same guy. He just looks like that guy. And there's tons of buzz. The news goes viral about the man who used to be blind and now he can see. The religious leaders are upset because Jesus worked on the Sabbath. When he picked up mud, that was working. And so the religious leaders, instead of rejoicing over this guy's sight, and imagine this guy, the disciples debate while you're blind. The religious leaders don't care that you've been healed. All they care is that Jesus worked on the Sabbath. And so they launch into an investigation to see what happened. They interview this guy, the guy who used to be blind. They interview his parents. They interview him again. They bring him forward and they say, you need to say that Jesus sinned because Jesus worked on the Sabbath. He's a sinner. And notice what this guy says in verse 25. It's a beautiful story. He says, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. He's on a a journey of understanding who Jesus is. We'll see at the end of the story, he knows exactly who Jesus is. But right now, he's still figuring this out. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. And some of you feel that way. You can't answer all the questions that buddies have for you at work about, hey, I hear you're like a Christian now. What does this mean? Oh yeah, I read this on the internet. I saw this on the History Channel. What does this mean? And you don't know all the answers, but here's what you do know. Listen, man, all I know is I was blind and now I see. All I know is Jesus healed me. I was blind spiritually. I was in the dark. I didn't have hope. I didn't have purpose in life. I didn't know where I was going. I felt distant from God and separated from God. I was blind, but now I see. It's a great story. Jesus then goes and finds this man. He's been thrown out of the synagogue, which is is ostracized. And notice how the story ends in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked, do you believe the son of man? 
I love this because Jesus finds the man and asks him, hey, do you believe in me? And Jesus finds you too and asks you the same thing. You know, the, the, the story of the Christian faith isn't that you find your way to God. God finds you. He pursues you because he loves you. In the, in the middle of your darkness, he loves you. Jesus heard that he had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. Jesus answered, you've seen him, in fact. He's the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. He worshiped Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is I am. I am the light of the world, deserves our worship and invites us to worship. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Now, what what does this mean? He's going to explain. Some of the Pharisees who were with him, that's the religious leader, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? Now, Jesus is speaking about spiritual blindness, not physical blindness. And Jesus says this, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you admitted that you were blind, then I can give you sight. But because you think you have everything together, because you think you can see, and because you're proud in your own goodness, then you are going to stay in your sin and you're going to be blind. Those who realize they're blind, Jesus brings sight to. Those who think they can see, they stay blind. Those of us who are Christians, we were blind and now we see. And we see because Jesus has changed us. So here, this, this whole story, it's a whole chapter in, John, in the Gospel of John. This whole story is a picture for us as what happens to us when we meet Jesus and how we continue to walk with him because now we can see. And so there's two things I want you to see about how we see differently. Number one is we see with new wonder. So when you became a Christian, if you've said like this man did, I believe, I believe in you, Jesus, then he's changed you from being blind spiritually to having sight spiritually. And we see, and we see with new wonder. Imagine the change in this guy's life. He was born blind. So he never saw till this moment. He didn't see the sky. He had never seen a sunset. He had never seen a rainbow. He didn't see the trees. He had never seen the faces of his family or friends. He saw nothing. And then all of a sudden, he can see. We can get a small sense of it when we think about the times that we saw something staggering for the first time. Maybe the first time you saw the Grand Canyon or the first time you remember seeing the beach, the first time you saw the redwoods, the first time you saw some staggering view and it took your breath away. Some of you still, when you go to Laguna Beach or drive this way from Laguna Beach, you'll take the long way so that you have that turn when you, every time I see it, every time I see it, when you drive up on the Crystal Cove, it's staggering. That, and I've seen it over and over again, but it's still staggering. This guy had seen nothing and all of a sudden he sees beauty. And it's a picture of what happens when we become a Christian. We're in darkness and then boom, we see how amazing and how beautiful God is. 
We get a small sense of what happened to this guy when we look at some videos on YouTube where people who can't see color are given as a gift glasses that enable them to see color for the first time. T- take a look at this, at this video. I've never been able to see this one. I never realized like how much I was affected by the fact that I can't see the world like the way that other people see the world. See, it gets a little emotional. Blue sky is deeper than I've ever seen. It reminds me of Colorado. Latitude. <laughs> oh my God. Is this purple? Yes. This is unbelievable. Look at the beauty in that road. What? Whoa! This is awesome. I see clearly. Like this? Oh my God. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I've never seen that so different. That is amazing. We see, we take so many things for granted, don't we? But when we see Jesus, We still appreciate the wonders of this world, but here's what happens. Even the wonders of this world, they pale in comparison to the wonder that we see in Jesus. And so when you see spiritually, this is what takes place. You actually, you don't appreciate the wonders and the sights of this world less. You appreciate them more because they point you to Christ. But you understand that because they point you to Christ, they point you to the greatest wonder that there is, the most awesome one to behold that there is. And so everything else pales in comparison to the greatness and the beauty and the majesty that we see in Jesus. But when we see Jesus, when we behold him, we don't enjoy then the wonders of this world less. We enjoy them more because we know that they point us to ultimate wonder in Christ. I'm a sunset junkie. I love sunsets. And my wife makes fun of me for how much I love sunsets. We'll go on vacation and she'll take my phone at the end and thumb through the pictures and be like, baby, um, there's three pictures of me and 600 of the sunset. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, what's the deal here? I just, I love, I love sunsets, but I believe that I appreciate a sunset more after meeting Jesus than before I met Jesus. So seeing Jesus, seen spiritually, doesn't cause me to appreciate physical wonder less. It causes me to appreciate physical wonder more. Why? Because when I see the sunset, I know it points to something much bigger. I know that God is the creator of that sunset. And so many times, this is what's happened to me as I've beheld a sunset, because I don't only see physically, but I see spiritually. The scripture says that from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And so when I see a sunset, I remember times when things were going great in my life and I watched the sunset and times when things were chaotic and not going great in my life and I watched the sunset and God was God over both times. He's consistent and I can trust him. The sunset isn't beautiful just in and of itself. It points me to ultimate wonder in Christ. The ocean, 
Just recently with my daughters in front of the ocean, I'm like, girls, listen, this is beautiful. And it points us to even something more beautiful. Because every time I see the ocean, I'm reminded of God's great forgiveness. The ocean keeps bringing waves and they come nonstop, relentlessly, but the ocean never runs out of water. And God's forgiveness keeps coming to me over and over again because I keep messing up over and over again. But his forgiveness is relentless. He keeps loving, he keeps forgiving, and he's never gonna run out of forgiveness. He's never gonna run out. And so when I stand in front of an ocean, it's good news. When I stand in front of an ocean, I don't just take in the beauty of the ocean. It points me to ultimate beauty and ultimate wonder. And so as a Christian, you don't enjoy wonderful things here less. You should enjoy them more. A Christian who has a prime filet mignon and a glass of red should enjoy that more than a non-Christian. Why? Because the non-Christian enjoys the meat and, mm, dang, this tastes really good. But the Christian is like, wow, God created all of these taste buds and he put them together. Glory. It's good. It's good. So we enjoy it more. We, listen, as Christians, we shouldn't be miserable people. Right? We should enjoy the wonders of this world, but we know that these wonders ultimately point us to the ultimate wonder. G.K. Chesterton, he wrote this. It's a profound quote, so I want you to press into it. He said, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. Here's what he says. You're not going to starve for a lack of wonders to look at. There's tons of views to go see. There's lots of great restaurants to eat at. There's lots of amazing experiences you can have. You're not gonna starve for a want of wonders, but what the world will starve from is never seeing wonder. And wonder is Jesus, beholding Jesus. Being a believer and walking as a believer is not about behaving, it's about beholding the beauty and the glory of Jesus. The Pharisees did not have, the religious leaders that Jesus confronted, they did not have a behaving problem. They had a beholding problem. They behaved really well. They just did not behold the glory of Jesus. And you and me can become a Pharisee when we start focusing on behaving and we stop focusing on Jesus and beholding the wonder of Jesus in fact, this is what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and 6. The God of this age, that's Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. So the scripture gives us a picture that when you become a Christian, you move from blindness to seeing the light of Jesus. He's the light of the world. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So we behold and see the light. When my heart wonders, it's not because I'm not following the rules. When my heart wonders, it's because I'm not beholding the glory of Jesus. And so you have new eyes. And with your new eyes, you are to see Jesus over and over again. So number one, we see with new wonder. Number two, we see with new perspective. We see with new perspective. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. 
Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, if you follow me because I am the light of the world, I will put light into your eyes and you will see everything differently. You're not going to walk in darkness anymore. You're going to see everything differently. So being a Christian, following Jesus, doesn't only mean you see him differently. It means by seeing him, you see everything else differently. So following Jesus means that you see where you live differently. You once saw it as a place to consume from, and now you see it as a place to contribute and to bless. You see people differently when you move from blindness to sight. Before you have spiritual sight, you can see people as tools and objects to use for your own advancement. But after you see Jesus, you see people differently. They are created in the image of God, every single person. And God puts you around them to love them and bless them. Seeing Jesus causes you to see people differently. Seeing Jesus causes you to behold suffering differently. Yes, we still struggle with pain, but we don't view suffering as futile and an end with no purpose. We understand that a day is coming when Jesus makes everything new. Seeing Jesus causes us to see money differently. When we were blind, money was our God. But now that we see Jesus, money is a gift and a tool and a resource to bless others. We see our vocation differently when we see Jesus. It's no longer just a place that I work to climb the corporate ladder or an entrepreneurship that allows me to acquire things or to have freedom. It's no longer only those things. Now my vocation is a gift of God, an opportunity to steward his blessings and steward his resources and bless other people. When you see Jesus, you see everything else differently. C.S. Lewis said it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. He's saying, I, I believe that the sun, the physical sun has risen because I see the sun, but it's not the only reason I believe that the sun has risen, but I see everything else because of the light that the sun gives. And Jesus is the same way. I not only believe in Jesus because he is the I am, and he is, and he's conquered the grave and he rose from the dead, but by Jesus, I also see everything else. Do you see things differently now? Can you look back at your life and see, wow, I, I'm like this guy in John 9. I was unsure who Jesus was, but the closer I got to him, the more I realized he's the one to worship. And because of that, I see with new eyes, I see with wonder all that he's given. And I see this world with different perspective. I once was blind and now I see. Is that your story? There's two responses to Jesus being the light of the world. Two responses, and we see it in this passage. There's the Pharisees who darken their hearts and harden their hearts to Jesus, and there's the formerly blind man who bows down and worships. Those are the only two responses to Jesus being the light of the world. The same Jesus and two different responses to the same light. The Puritans had a way of saying it. They said it this way. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same light 
the same Jesus, two different responses. My heart is melted like this formerly blind man and I bow down in worship or my heart gets hard and I harden my heart and I don't follow the light of the world. A couple of weeks ago for the very first time, we now have an image of a black hole. You've heard of black holes in um, novels and in science fiction, and people for years have, have been fascinated with a black hole because it is not only a Padanoga bag where you put a bunch of stuff and lose things, it's actually a scientific reality in the galaxies. And so I'm using a science illustration because some of you were really excited that I used a science illustration at Easter, and you're like, we're tired of hip hop um, quotes. <laughs> And basketball illustrations, we, we thought we had a more learned pastor, and so use some science. And so here, here you go. Here's, a, here's the picture, the first ever picture of a black hole. And so a black hole is in the atmosphere, and people are amazed by it because of the strong gravitational pull of a black hole. Everything around it gets sucked into it. It's why people will say things about um, losing things. Oh, it's, in, it's got sucked into the black hole. I, I lost something in my garage. I can't find it. It's in the black hole of the garage. Or um, I sent an email to this company and never heard back. It went into the black hole of their corporate communications. The reason people say that is because it's true. A black hole actually pulls everything in. It consumes energy and consumes light and consumes everything and destroys it. And it's utterly pulled into this black hole. But notice this picture. I want, let's put the picture back on the screen. I want you to see it. This is why it's fascinating is because we have our first ever picture of a black hole and light has exposed that it's a black hole. Jesus being the light of the world exposed the Pharisees as being black holes of consumption. They just consumed and consumed. They consumed their good deeds. They consumed their religiosity. They consumed their approval from others. They consumed all of their achievements, their religious achievements. They consumed all of their possessions. Their life was a life of consumption and emptiness. And without Jesus, our lives are a black hole. We just consume and we consume and we keep wanting the things that we consume to quench us and satisfy us and they don't. And Jesus shows up as the light of the world and he exposes that all we really are are consumption centers, black holes that consume and consume and are never quenched and never satisfied. But Jesus doesn't come to condemn us. He comes here and steps into this world to love us and set his affection on us and to give life into our darkness and his light allows us to see with new wonder and see with new perspective and so if you are following Jesus you are following the light of the world and he rescues you from being a black hole of consumption he rescues you from that and then you see with new wonder all of creation you can look at and be like, wow, this reminds me of him. When you read the scripture, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, you're reminded over and over again that Jesus has changed you. And now you see with new perspective everything around you differently because Jesus is I am and he's the light of the world. 
He's both, and he's both for you, just like he was for this blind man. Jesus, we wanna celebrate you and thank you for the reality that you have put light into our eyes, that we were blind and now we see. It's in your name I pray, amen. Let's stand, let's worship, let's thank Jesus for who he is.
We were blind and now we see because of Jesus. We see because of him. So grateful that you, yeah, we can clap for that. Thank you, Jesus. So grateful that you chose to worship with us this morning. If you are a guest, we would love to meet you in the Welcome Center out on the patio. If you're a teacher, please stop by. We'd love to give you a gift. If there's anything going on in your life that we can pray with you about, we have a team of people here to my left, your right, right by those lights. They would love to pray with you. If you need prayer for healing, the scripture says in James 5 that you can ask the elders of the church to pray over you for healing, whether that's physical healing or emotional healing. And we have elders in the church that are ready to pray for you now. And to get to our elder prayer room, you simply go through the doors in the back and take a right, and you'll see the elder prayer room right there. Next week is Mother's Day weekend, and we cannot, uh, yeah, we can clap for all the moms for Mother's Day weekend. We cannot tell our moms thank you enough. We can't. I can't tell my mom thank you enough. I can't tell Kay thank you enough for the, for the mother that she is. But we're going to try. Next weekend, we're going to try. and We're going to say thank you here. And this is a great opportunity for you to bring your mom and to express appreciation for you. Listen, guys, some of your moms would love if you would, like, bring her here and worship alongside her. Um, and so that, that'd be a, a great way to tell her that you love her. And so next week, we're going to have a great uh, time celebrating Mother's Day, but also we're going to look that Jesus is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. That's, that's next week. Let's extend our hands and receive God's blessing as we go. Jesus, these are your sons and daughters, and you have given light into their eyes. You are the same God that said, let there be light, has shown your light into their hearts so they behold the beauty of you. I pray this brand new week for them, that you would open their eyes continually to all of the great things around them and that those great things would remind them of you. Lord, give them new eyes this week to see you and to see your blessings differently. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.